Hi, I'm Annette Richmond. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Trend Talk Show, where industry experts join me to discuss new and emerging trends in their fields. Well, good evening from where I am. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon uh, from wherever you are joining us from. Please do say hello um, in the comments and let us know where you're joining us from because we will be able to see them back here in the studio. So thanks so much for joining us. And I'm so excited to have Tom and Ed and Mary back here with me to talk about 2023 hiring trends and and what's going to be going on. We're going to talk about AI and culture and hybrid and all kinds of stuff tonight. So um, let's start by having you all introduce yourselves, uh, tell people a little bit about what you do. So why don't we start with uh, with Ed and then we'll work around to Tom. Hey, good evening, everybody. My name is Ed Hahn. I'm a senior corporate recruiter for a company called Senlar FSB uh, in this role. It is my great pleasure to be able to improve the world and people's careers one wreck at a time. Um, I've been in recruiting now for about 11 years, uh, and I've had a mix of both agency as well as corporate recruiting in that time. Uh, very de- And I'm delighted to actually be invited to come back. Annette, thank you very much. Well, we had so much fun last time. And Mary. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Mary Despay. And I'm a recruiter as well as career coach based in uh, the Honolulu, Hawaii area. So aloha to everybody. And, um, you know, just happy to be here. 2023, lots of good stuff to talk about, Annette. So thank you. Hey, I'm Tom Pounder. I'm the owner and operator of Career Thinker. I left corporate America in a sales executive job. I had a career in history. a history career in sales, recruiting, sales operations, and all other functions around that. I started Career Thinker as a career service company where we help people get prepared for next career opportunities, resumes, LinkedIn, and then three, four years into um, starting Career Thinker, the recruiting just kind of fell in my lap and it snowballed into um, having four recruiters on my team right now. We recruit for four companies as a third-party recruiter and have six resume writers and career coaches on my team. So we kind of see the challenges from both ends. So wow. That's me. Wow. And, and I'm Annette Richmond, for anybody who doesn't know who I am. So I just want to say hello really quickly to people in our audience. Jerome is joining us from New York and Karen from Indianapolis. Um, someone I don't know doesn't have their, their name up uh, from Jericho. Our friend Sarah Tim from uh, Colorado. And Yara, I think is how to pronounce your name, saying hello from New Jersey. So um, I'm so excited to uh, have you all back here. And so let's jump right back into it. And I'd like to kind of start with the hybrid because, you know, I read so much about there's hybrid, yes, and hybrid, no, and flex time and four day work weeks. And I read some some statistics that I thought were really interesting. And they were from a, um, a company called um, Castle S- Systems, who's a security management. So they do like, uh, you know, cards, key cards and stuff for corporations. And they said that um, according to their stats in April, 2020, occupancy in offices was like 15% and it's been steadily climbing and climbing and it was 57% just this past 
December. And uh, the chairman, um, who was quoted in this article in Fortune, said that they expected to level off around 60%, but that there are um, people are there, but they're coming in at different times. So I guess that that sort of indicates sort of the the hybrid. Um, I read something according to McKinsey, you know, hybrid is going to be the new norm. And also um, Corn Ferry said that uh, companies are going to have to get the best of both worlds by doing hybrid workplaces. So what do y'all say to that, ye in the recruiting world? I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, we're still we're still in the post pandemic. You know, there's going to be a lot of things adjusting over next year too. I think you know when we look back at this in 2024, there's just going to be a really a, a really strong hybrid approach. Um, I, I think there's benefits from both. Um, the fully remote jobs, I think they'll be far and few in between as they are right now. Um, you know, I have a lot of clients that have been working from home for the past. Um, you know, 18 months or two years and they, they hate it. And I got some clients that love it. So I, I think the best of both worlds will probably be the norm. And then we had Walt Disney that's gonna, as they just announced March, all employees must be in office it's March 2nd or something like that. Oh, so, wow, okay. Yeah, so that was announced yesterday morning. So, hmm. um, you know, and again, companies are finding the footings, people are finding the footings, but um, that's how I see it happening. Okay. Mary, what do you what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I I you know I work in different industries. Like I work primarily in consulting and tech, so I see it a little differently. I mean, I definitely see a return to hybrid formats for sure. But I think still in tech and some of these other kinds of industries, you know, people are remote. They're going to stay remote. I I will say though that there are a lot of people who do go into the office because they crave that in-person time. And we will see, yeah, like a lot of people just going in at these random times or specific for meetings or just, you know, not not so regimented like in some of these industries as before where you're on a schedule, but they are going to be coming and going and a little loosely based in that sense. But I mean, from clients that I work with, you know, remote is still pretty strong and people are looking for that. Okay. And Ed, you had some pretty strong feelings about RTO the last time we all spoke. Yeah. Yeah. And my feelings about it haven't really changed in a meaningful way. Um, like my own organization, for example, we are, we have formally moved into hybrid. Uh, and, you know, each line manager has the discretion to determine what hybrid means for that respective team. Right. Okay. I mean, so I have one manager who wants to team members to report on site twice a week for, for, for one in one instance, right? Uh, I have another manager who is looking for folks, uh, rather, uh, in the HR organization of which I'm a part. Um, we, as of this month, uh, we are being asked to make an on-site appearance four times in a month. And we can break that up in whatever way we determine most suitable. And of course, for those folks who have a longer commute, obviously, that's probably not the most fun thing in the universe, but you know, they'll, they'll do it like once a week ish or so. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I think the challenge uh, of the return to office move is that, you know, I still don't see a real good solution for the 
or rather, I don't see a compelling reason to move away from the idea of hoteling in those organizations where they don't want to, they're okay with not being 100% on site. Um, and, you know, the, there are some very significant advantages in hoteling and, and hot desking, as we also used to call it, uh, because organizations that, you know, had signed these enormous commercial real estate leases for X number of places, they don't need all those folks any longer to be fully on site in, in the vast majority of cases. And, you know, for example, my own organization has exited three different buildings in the last year and a half. Um, so that's a, that's obviously a huge CapEx savings, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think that is a, that is, I think, especially with the, uh, not kind of gloomy economic forecast that we've been seeing a very compelling argument for a lot of employers right now, you know, to reduce on, reduce some of those expenditures that they had been assuming that we're going to have indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always think of, I have a, a good friend of mine who uh, used to work at Gartner, left there fairly recently, and they went virtual first, and they actually have a very large campus um, just a couple of towns over from me, and my understanding is they're going to be um, losing, you know, reducing their their footprint as far as their their um the space that they're taking there. But I, I'd like you to talk a little bit more about this, this hoteling, because I'm not really sure. familiar with that. And I don't know. Oh, sure. Watching. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure what that means. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I okay. said it and I, I ought to have explained it. Huh? <laughs> um, so the way that I'm understanding it is the idea. It was that in the old days, right. You show up at the office, you have your desk, there's a signed seat. There's probably a nameplate on the cube wall or, uh-huh. or, or, or desk, desk wall, right. Or rather, um, office wall rather uh so the hoteling or hot desking concept is that okay you you no longer have an assigned specific seat or you're going to share it with one or more other people whose whose on-site schedules are going to differ from yours oh okay so in this way each seat actually accommodates two or more employees right and that's kind of the thing i'm talking about when when i talk about uh, employers being able to reduce their footprints uh, in some cases, exit properties entirely by uh-huh. reorganizing reorganizing where those folks are going to report on site. Um, because, you know, when you reduce it by at least a factor of half, mm-hmm. right, the, the number of seats that you need to accommodate, I mean, that's a pretty significant savings. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I'm curious, though, your thoughts on what um, how employees feel about this. I know um, almost my last corporate job, when I first started working with the company, it was a publishing company, and we all had um, sort of those not quite cubes, but partial kind of cubes. And oh then, yeah! And then they moved to another um, office space that was all open. Uh-huh. Which, uh-huh. I mean, I hated it. It was impossible for me to think there. But, but, uh, but, how do employees feel about sharing the the space in the office? I mean, Mary, do you do you have that? Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like if it was in the culture of the company to have open space before subtle changes like that's not that big a deal, but if it's completely different than what existed, then yeah, I mean, that's something we'll have to overcome. But I think, um, I mean, to me, it just kind of speaks to this embracing of 
remote or even hybrid work that like you can't escape from the configurations at work and the setup and to have that concentrated block of time and the space and environment that help you you know produce as well as you can be it at home or not at home in the office you know and then mixing it up so that's what I think. Yeah. I was having a conversation with my husband yesterday he worked three days at home two days remote, no, three, two days remote, three days in the office. And he was telling me, he says, you know, the hybrid push really does get, helps people even get promoted or get known. Now he was in the office yesterday. So was the CEO of a company and he, the company has 17 locations. So the CEO just stopped in his office four times. He built a stronger relationship. They laughed, they talked about things. Um, you know, so there's part of that when you have a hybrid approach. Um, and then also, um, I forgot my other train of thought. I was going to say something. Oh, what's what's becoming popular with hiring is remote local, where companies will hire you on, on a remote process, uh, remote um, hiring. But that might they might want you in office like at four days a month, or they want you in a certain distance where you have to come in for meetings or something like that. So you know that remote where you're you know on the other side of the state um, country might not be the case anymore. Yeah, I, I think something like that happened to a to a friend of mine. I was I had lunch with um, about a week ago, and she was saying that she was in the running for a job. We're in Connecticut, and she was running for the for a job in in a southern state. I, I'm not sure where it was. I forget. And she, you know, they asked her about relocating, and she said no. You know, her husband they have jobs at home and whatever. And she did not. Uh, she was like one of the top two, and she did not get the job. And she was thinking that that might have been the reason because she was, uh, you know, would never ever be able to come into the office unless she flew down there. So, so another thing that I read and I hadn't heard about um, recently, heard talk about, was the idea of having the uh, flex hours or like the four day work week. And um, I read in an article in Forbes that. Um, you know, this could be uh, the year for that. And they were talking about um, many, many countries like England, Belgium, Sweden, Iceland. And of course, you know, we're always the last here in the U.S. to go for something like this. Um, had been doing that. And in the U.K., 86 percent of companies um, taking part in the trial said that they're going to go forward with that. So so what are your thoughts on that? How does that work in with the, the hybrid <laughs> or not? Uh, you know, we're a decade, 15, year, 15 years behind Europe, so I don't think that's going to be a challenge for us for a while. I mean, honest, we're always behind in everything when it comes to something unique about that. I mean, they've been talking about this for years. Uh, are there any American companies that went to four days a week? Do we know of any major companies? Mm, yeah, I don't know. Maybe in yeah. specific departments they're piloting. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, not as a general policy. And does everyone have the same day off or this flex days? And um, so I think we're far away from that. I, I would love some major companies in the U.S. to try that. And I, I don't know. That's my opinion, which well, is not an opinion yet. Well, you know, the thing is, though, I, a lot of companies, I think, have um, like Fridays, you know, in summer, summer mm -hmm. Fridays. So they're there, you know, half a day. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering if that might extend to a full day maybe down the road if companies are already doing that that's just what I well think. my husband used to work for vodafone which the corporate office is in, in the uk and um every friday you know one o'clock in the afternoon in the uk time the whole office everyone left they, they kind of work half a day it was unwritten rule and a lot of that is through europe in general um but the us they didn't do that so it was kind of um different <laughs> 
Okay, so so now I'm going to flip something on you all and um, talk about company culture. And I happened to find this um, article today in uh, in Business News Daily. It was from December 2022, so not not that long ago. And um, it was all about sort of the toxic work culture and how people ran from companies. And there was one. Um, it was cited it was using data from Revelo Revelio Labs, which is um, they help workforces understand like workplace dynamics and, and whatnot. And our, I should say businesses understand workforce dynamics and trends, et cetera. And they analyzed um, the imp- impact of 34 million online employee profiles to identify U.S. workers who had just left their jobs between um september uh, april through september 2021 and they it was people who quit retired were laid off and they found that they asked people different culture reasons you know so why they left and toxic corporate culture was the top reason by far it was 10.4 percent and the next one down was jobs job insecurity and reorganization at 3.5 percent so, Ned, Ed, you are nodding already. So, oh yeah. So, uh, the time period I think you said was what a- April through what November? I think of twenty one. September twenty twenty one. September twenty one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, let's remember the time period, right? I mean, twenty twenty one was the year of the Great Resignation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw a lot of that. Um, and yeah, you know, a lot of a number of businesses which just plain went out of business unfortunately and a lot of businesses obviously rift right lay, laid off some uh, a lot also furloughed uh, and i think there's a lot of insecurity in the in the working world about well what's going to happen to to my organization right um so what happened so all those people who didn't get rift right all those people who didn't get furloughed because you know there's always a percentage who aren't right well, it, did the amount of work suddenly decrease? No, no, it did not. So how many bodies are there to address that load? Well, there's substantially fewer. So what happens? Did, did Are the managers no longer accountable to to meeting their the KPIs for the team? No, no, that didn't happen. <clears throat> so everyone's working harder. Everyone's trying to work smarter. But the fact is, very often, smarter isn't always viable for whatever reason. So it's just working harder and harder and harder. And I think that's the thing that we really saw happening during the Great Resignation. Everyone said, okay, look, I've, I've been burning the candle at both ends. I, I can't do this any longer. You know, and, you know, if there's an expectation and your manager doesn't model, you know, good work-life balance, right? And not, not a lot of managers do model that. Let's be clear about that. Um, it creates the expectation that, you know, each each successive layer down the org should similarly be working crazy hours and mm-hmm. that's a very difficult thing and that absolutely could be toxic sure i absolutely buy that especially with the additional pressure uh, that's on everyone people don't often respond from their best selves when they're under pressure mm-hmm. you know so it's a it's, i think it's a lot of factors that came together to to produce that result okay yeah, I mean, I would agree to that. I mean, I would just probably add on to, especially at that point in time, I mean, a lot of people were really faced with evaluating how they were living their life. I mean, either that they were thrown right into it because of health concerns and just the 
practicality of a job situation or what have you, but it was really an opportunity to take a look at your life and how you wanted to live it. And that included who you were working with and spending most of your time with. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I feel personally, I feel like culture in general could always use improvement with like self-care and looking out for yourself. But I really do feel like there is, there's been much more of an emphasis that that is somewhat a value that a lot of people want to stand for and they're incorporating that into what they're searching for. Mm -hmm. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I know, you know, life is too short. You you don't want to spend it doing the things that you hate (laughs) with the people that you can't stand. (laughs) But I, I think some of the challenges is every company was going through some level of this. And this is a, um, I've been doing career services for 12 years over the past eight, nine months. This is the first time I've had to write, um, I call it a boomerang cover letter. Um, people that thought the grass was greener and it wasn't, mm-hmm. there was no grass, it was dirt. And <laughs> they realized, oh, I made the wrong decision. Like when you split with somebody you love, you realize you love them more than you thought. Um, so they wanted to go back to their past employees. So um, we wrote these boomerang cover letters, you know, why I left, you know, mm-hmm. what, you know, and it just and they actually all three of them got rehired with better right. salaries Two of the companies um, hired someone to replace them. And those person, those people left. Um, and then um, in recruiting, um, I had um, I, rec- I actually recruited um, two people that left companies five, six months uh, the same position was open twice since they left because people were joining and the same problems were there. And they went someplace else. I found them on LinkedIn. I reached out to them. They weren't happy where they were, and they came back to the company. So we can admit we made a mistake leaving and, and go back if that makes sense for the person. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I never had that before. Really, people left and buy and never looked back. Yeah. You know, it, it's very interesting. And then I, I, I read some other information in that same article and it was a, a glass door survey and um, talking about people that were considering the company's culture. And 77 percent said, you know, yes, they, they were looking at co- uh, company's culture. But 56 percent, which I thought was interesting, said a good workplace culture was more important than salary to job satisfaction. And and this kind of harkens back to something I don't I re- I don't know even when it started, but the idea that people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses or, or that kind of thing. They leave the, the toxic people. So, so, um, so what, what's your uh, thoughts on that? Are they looking, how, and how do people, you know, look for company culture? I mean, how do you know? I think it's different for everybody, what, what they consider good culture. And if anyone who works for a company has, has a bad culture, you say, would you give up $10,000 of your salary so we could build a better culture? Nobody will do that. So when it comes down to money, my personal um, um, thought about that, money does matter equally to this culture. I don't think anyone's going to give up ten, fifteen thousand less salary. They say they will, but they won't when it comes down to negotiations. Um, so, and what, what, what's a bad culture? What's a good culture? It could be very different from, from person to person. Okay. Other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I'd like to jump in. Um, okay. I, I, I agree with Tom. Um, I have, I have found the odd exception that they'll say, okay, you know what? I, I, I want to scale back my responsibilities. For example, I just spoke with a lovely gentleman earlier today, as a matter of fact, listen, I'm, I'm an EVP and I 
I, I need to have fewer responsibilities. I need better work-life balance. And I understand the role that we're talking about is junior relative to my present one. And that's what I want, you know? Um, and so we talked through what the role is. We talked through um, what the team is like, what the, what the manager is like. And said, you know what? I, this makes sense. This is a place I could be excited about being a part of, you know? And I, I thought that was just wonderful. I mean, <clears throat> guys, folks, you, you know, when you have like a really strong candidate and you're like, oh, let, 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 please let this work. Please let this work. And it just aligned. Like the stars were perfect for this, you know? Yeah. So, not, and I agree with Tom Vine that this is not common. It's far from common. Well, he was going down a level of responsibility. So I'm right. saying people basically saying that level want more, a larger level. They're not going from my point of view, they're right. not going to give up a lot of salary, if any. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm just embroidering yeah. about a, about yeah. a relatively corner case, admittedly. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, there's so many surveys out, but no one says we surveyed 150,000 people. You know, we, we don't, get the scope of what these surveys really mean in the big scheme of things. I mean, that's, I'm seeing all these numbers on LinkedIn every single day and it gets very deceiving sometimes, you know, with the two companies, uh, 50 people with the a hundred companies, 5,000 people they survey. So yeah. I, I don't know where some of these numbers come from. So well, I, just- I, I will say the Glassdoor uh, survey was 5,000 workers okay. from, from a few different countries, including the U S. Um, so, you know, and that's where, that's where those numbers come from, but I hear you, you know, and when I'm looking online, I try to look for things that actually make sense. Um, because it is true. You can find, um, and I studied stats in college and you you can find stats to say pretty much whatever you want. Um, and so I like to bring them to you all and see what you say. And, and, you know, that kind of sheds some light. If you're all saying the same thing, then it's probably true. (laughs) You know, I, Annette, I'm reminded of the old Mark Twain saying, right? There's lies, there's damned lies, and there's statistics. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It, yeah, and it, it is so true. And I was um, I was actually a, a media minor in, in college, which makes me skeptical of things that I see because they talk about a picture being worth a thousand words, but I can go to um, an event where someone is speaking and I can take in, you know, recording of them and I can take a recording of a different audience and I can put those together and who knows that it's not the same, same people. So it is interesting. And I'm, I'm glad that you bring that up. Um, but I, I also, unless there's any other thoughts on that, Mary, do you have anything you want to add before we move on? Um, you know, I think we had a quick question that I don't know that anyone really talked about on this topic was like, where do you find this kind of information to vet? And it's it's interesting because I think that the surveys, I mean, take it with a grain of salt, that's one input, but I know that in speaking with a lot of candidates, they're like, oh, well, I go and look at like, yeah, how many stars they get on Glassdoor or these reviews or feedback. But I mean, I think when people are trying to vet that as much as possible, they should look at a a variety of sources. Mm -hmm. I personally think that you should always talk to someone who works there. I mean, more than one person. And maybe, and you don't have to know them even, and you know, you can solicit that kind of feedback. I mean, not everyone will get back to you, of course, but I think it's really helpful to have a complete picture. But I work with a lot of candidates that are like, oh yeah, I saw they had four and a half stars out of five. And it's like, 
yeah, well, you know, I'd be kind of curious why it doesn't five, <laughs> but, or like what people are saying on the negative, if you're like that, you know, won over by how wonderful it is. I mean, you really need to have a few different inputs, but I mean, that's just my take on where you can look. Well, you talk about like last store, I had a client of mine who was an HR manager. Um, she hired someone that worked under her that just didn't work out. She only lasted three months and she was let go. Um, and you look at Glassdoor, there's like five, six, and six different one-star reviews that sound exactly the same that all came from the same person. They finally got it taken down, but it took seven months to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even these surveys and these stars, what generates them? So, yeah. yeah. Can, can, can I uh, add, tack on something that Mary had just been saying? Uh, I, I agree with Mary that, of course, you know, it's best to actually talk with people. And the point that she was making, right, that, you know, the the reviews can only, only mean so much, right? I mean, because you don't know if they're talking about that specific org, that specific team, that specific hiring manager. Mm -hmm. And the hiring manager we're talking about drives so much of what the actual lived experience is in being in that position. So even... The, so on some level, you know, like both Mary and Tom had been saying, I just want to underscore the point that on some level, the survey results, you kind of have to take them with a shaker of salt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that, that is so true. And, and what do they say? You know, um, people are more likely to complain than praise. So, you know, if, if you have a bad meal at a restaurant, you're more likely to go on and give them a bad review than to go on unless the meal is like exceptional to go on and, and give them uh, a review like that. So um, so thank you for for bringing us back to that, Mary. I appreciate that because it is, you know, it is tough. You know, I've worked for some companies. The last one, my last corporate job, I felt like I was in jail. I mean, they would actually, it was a very small firm and they would actually, um, but what well, partners would walk around if you stopped to chit chat with, you know, someone and, and say, you know, do you have, are, are, do you have work to do? I mean, and this is not in the, you know, this is not the 1930s or 50s or, you know, and uh, it was just, it was just incredible. This is in the 2000s. It was incredible to me that uh, there was that kind of an attitude. So, you know, I, I would think that too, if you do go into for an interview to kind of look around and see if people are smiling or not, but, but that's just, uh, that's what I'm thinking. So, so let's turn to a more fun subject. And I was looking up, um, about uh, talking about AI in recruiting. And one of the things that they talked about, um, and, and, I, and these stats came from um, Higher View, which you, I'm sure you all know, they do video interviewing and, and all that stuff. And, um, and they started off in the beginning, and I'm, I'm guessing these were you know, from their stats, um, that Amazon saved you know, over 68,000 recruiter hours and reached, you know, 300% more candidates than Unilever um, achieved a 16% increase in their diversity hiring goals and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and they started off with the, the uses of AI. The first thing was like um, resume sorting. So I guess the ATS, which is, you know, I, I don't, I guess that's AI. I don't think of it like that. It seems like it's been around forever, but they were talking about, um, you know, AI driven assessments and, um, <clears throat> and and interviews and things like that so what do you see as far as um companies using those um you know ai and the effectiveness of it hmm. you're laughing already uh sorry <laughs> no it's okay um uh, there's there's a couple of different ways that ai can be leveraged in talent acquisition right okay uh 
there's one tool, for example, that we actually use here called Hire Easy. And it's used in order to help build a pipeline of candidates that you might want to engage. Mm -hmm. um, and I see, I see Mary is not nodding. She's familiar yeah. with it. I have Hire uh, Easy too. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm, yep. I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a mm -hmm. fantastic tool. But the, and that particular application, AI is being leveraged in order to broaden, not narrow, right? And that's really, I think that's a very important distinction, right? We can talk about AI and the fact of the matter is there's many kinds of AI, mm -hmm. right? There's machine learning, there's generative AI and chat GPT, which everyone's been talking about nonstop for the last three months. Um, so, you know, in chat GPT, a lot of people I know, especially in the TA function, have been using it to generate, you know, scripts, generate text, generate communication. Uh, I know one fellow that did a te tested it to produce a resume, if memory serves. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't get to look at it very carefully, but what I seem to be seeing, and you know, I'm I'm certainly happy to to hear other voices on this, uh, is that the usage of ChatGPT. Uh, Produces output, yeah, and it's serviceable. It gets the job done, but it's not unlike the default text of a LinkedIn con uh, invitation to connect. I'd like to add you to my professional network on LinkedIn, right? That's the text that it gives you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it has absolutely no warmth, no character, no personality. It's kind of boring, flat, and meh. Um, and right now, at least... That seems to be the consensus view that I have been witnessing anyway. But I really would love to know what Mary and Tom's experiences have, and what they've seen have been. With uh, chat GPT? Yeah, that, that specifically is what I meant, yeah. Tom. Sorry. Well, you know, I was, well, right now, they're only using data from 2021 and beyond. They don't have any current data right. um, from more 2022. So some things might be outdated. So it's a little bit behind. Um, you know, I was on a call this morning uh, with Dr. Scott, and he was talking about it. And um, he was saying sometimes the information is incorrect. Um, so you got you got to take it and, and use it as a source to start out with. But you need to check your sources and stuff like that. But um, I, I haven't found it useful yet to create a resume. It's very basic. But if you want to um, generate blog posts or you want to write some types of scripts, it gives you a really good foundation to a place to start. So it's new. It was not new, but it's in the big scheme of things, it's new. And it's going to get better. There's going to be a lot of money invested in it. Um, but right now, it's just um, it's a good tool to play around with. But I don't think you can be creating resumes right yet. So I tried. I, I tried five different resumes. It's just <laughs> so basic. Um, not that I would do that for my clients. I was just curious. So so what do, what are your thoughts on that, Mary? Are you using it? <clears throat> Um, I'm not yet. I mean, I've been reading up a bit more on it and just mm -hmm. as a resource, ChatGPT, like what it does. And, you know, people throw AI around quite a bit. And I mean, it's just going to be super exciting to see what the next frontier and the applications are of it. I mean, I know from what I've seen in just general overviews on the technology and what they're building is that like it mines a lot of information from what's out there on the web. So, I mean, certainly getting ideas and scripting and language and resumes, I mean, that's the potential. 
but also, you know, it pulls from a data source that has a lot of internet content that is heavily inaccurate, heavily biased. It has a certain point of view. So those are all things in whatever we're going to be creating with this tool. Like, I'd be curious to see how they mitigate that and how they incorporate things. But um, so it's exciting. I do have an opinion, though, on just um, AI tests and assessments. Okay, um, great. We'll see. You will see these. Maybe not for every single kind of role, but certainly, you know, I've worked with clients in the past, um, like a major uh, logistics and shipping company. They did certain roles um, with this AI kind of assessment that it was very possible that you could be made a job offer contingent speaking without speaking to a human they had a series of online tests granted it was very specific for the role which was um you know it was a position that didn't interact quite a bit with like outside people it was more like of a warehouse kind of logistics operation kind of thing but i found it so fascinating because they were really streamlining and really getting to some of the things that tom and um, Ed, we're saying with the outreach, really just trying to reach out to more populations of people and engage them more systematically and faster. So I think you will see it, maybe not for everything, but certain levels of roles, for sure. Well, well no, I was just going to ask you, go ahead, Tom, then I was going to ask you all about interviewing. Uh, well, I was going to say, when you look at a company like a Hiveview, um, like LIJ Hospitals in Long Island, um, they used to um, interview maybe 10, 15 people for one position. Since they implemented Hiveview, they get um, interviewed 200, 250 people for one job. And now, and, you know, it's only going to be one or two people higher, but they get interview a wider range of people, giving those people who might not typically get interviewed a, a better chance of getting the job. So that's, that's a plus of AI. Uh, I know a lot of people don't want to take video interviews or something, but I have one company that uses um, AI for that, and, and it does help narrow down the time we spend and, and hopefully get a, a wider view of possible candidates. Yeah. Well, you know how I feel about that, Tom. And so many people are like, oh, no, no. But, you know, um, you've got to get get on the interview train, because uh, the, the video train, because it's not going away anytime soon. I would say it's going to be more and more. Um, and just as a side note before we move on, do you um, are what about um, interviews in general Are um, you know, video or even Zoom um, virtual interviews, is that still a thing? Is it going to continue even for like local candidates? You're nodding, Ed, okay. Yes, I, I absolutely believe it's going to. And I believe that's for two reasons, really. Number one, it's really convenient, you know. Uh, and logistically, frankly, um, it allows you to maximize your time, both for the mm -hmm. candidate, but also for the, ma the hiring manager, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to get up, physically go to a conference room, greet that person in the lobby, walk them to the conference room, escort them about, you know, whatever that needs to look like. Mm -hmm. um, and it allows you to be very efficient with the whatever size block of time has been allotted for that interview. Because otherwise yeah. you, you have to build in the five, 10 minutes, depending on the size of your campus, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, not to mention booking the conference room and all that other all that other stuff. So yeah, I I would think that too. Um, so I I do want to um, unless you want to add something else. I anybody want to add anything else to that conversation? Yeah, but um, 
Ed, I, I, I do recruiting, so I'm the first line of the, right. the process. Um, but at some point, I do think that one face-to-face -face interview with the people you can be actually directly working with is very valuable. So um, depending on the role and where it is and stuff like that. But I do believe uh, video interview is always going to be here. But I think the, to really get to know someone, you just need to get that vibe to meet them. So I'm not sure how you feel about that. But uh, Let me just respond to that very quickly, if you don't yeah. mind, Annette. Of course Sorry, not. Mary. Uh, I, I didn't mean to imply that on-site interviews are gone forever. Uh, right. I did not mean to make leave that impression. I believe yeah. that we're going to still see video interviewing doing a lot of the intermediary interviews, but I think that we're going to see um, a return to on-site for finals at least. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and I agree with Tom's read on that. Yeah. Yeah. There is something about that, that face-to-face. -face. So before we move on, I just want to go mention something with the, with the chat uh, GPT, I think it is. Um, and I was talking to Tom about this earlier. So I, you know, I go on and I do research to come up with some ideas that we're going to talk about things that are new and emerging. And so I had already done that, but just on a whim today, I put in the, the, that AI um, top trends for hiring in 2023. And it came up with this, this two pages here of all this stuff. And while I would not use this, it did put me onto the idea of, oh, AI. Okay, it's saying that that's going to be big. And so it gave me something to search for um, to add to our conversation. So um, so I'm thinking, you know, that that is something that can, you know, can be helpful uh, for me. Um, so I do have... I have something else that I wanted to ask you that I thought was kind of interesting. And it's kind of two things that that run together. And one of them was um, about people who are retired returning to work um, and that um, there was a study done by, you know, Encore Boston Network. So they have a network of a, a bunch of different companies up in the Boston area. Um, and they said and, and most of the people that responded to them um were saying they would want to work only part time and some were uh wanting to work full time but along with that i want to throw in the idea which i had not heard that i read on a um corn ferry the idea of having interim executives and professionals to come in and work for specific projects or whatever so um so I'm curious about, you know, in your experience right now, are you seeing these things? Hey, Dad. Uh, I was just drawing a breath, honestly. Uh, uh, let me sit back uh, this time. Okay. No, I, I, I am seeing a lot of people that retire are being hired as consultants. And actually, make, they don't need health insurance anymore because they retired. They had all that figured out. They're getting hired as consultants, making a, a better salary, and they don't need benefits. So uh, I see a lot of people that were, had really strong careers. They retired. That's part of the boomerang, too. And they decided, well, now I'm, I'm bored. Or they looked at the 401k and realized 30% of it was gone. It's like, I, I, my money's not going to last as long as I thought it was. Every individual is different. But they're going back. They're being consultants. They have a contract for three months, take three months off, go back. So I see that happening. I've had several clients that did exactly that. Yeah, I've actually seen quite a bit of that, too. Um, I think, you know, there is a lot of work as consultants, as Tom mentioned, you know, certainly operating as, say, like a fractional CFO or something like that. The, I know a lot of people 
have been very interested in that work. And even just, you know, getting into that later stage in life, you know, like I know for my parents, my dad, you know, when he first retired, he was so bored after the first three years. He's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? It's like, sure, I can help raise grandchildren, but like I need something else. And like really being connected to a really quite easy place that has been such a part of a lot of people's lives is, you know, the workplace and an environment where you're learning new things. I mean, even interacting with people, believe it or not, really helps with longevity and just staying connected. And yeah. when you don't have that, you lose your social skills and your social filter in some cases. <laughs> but um, I know that that's really, really something that I, I personally have seen and know people personally in my own family and just other networks to be a kind of people. Well, no, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. And and Sarah has said that um, she sees uh you know, she's having clients do that. I work with a lot of clients too that have, you know, even sold companies and now they want to come back and, you know, work as a strategic partner for a startup and things like that. Um, and, you know, my father also, he retired really early. It was just, you know, he worked for a large company and whatever. And um, I, I'm convinced that a lot of his decline was due to the fact that he spent his time late, you know, watching TV and what kind of, a, you know, and I, I think that that really does, um, you know, take away from, from, you know, maybe the, even the joy of living uh, to just be, have a life like that. So um, um, do you agree? Miri, I know you agree because you just said it. So. I definitely agree with that. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, I think, you know, you, you're talking about people who've spent 20, 30, 40 years, you know, especially when you're talking about senior pe people, fixing really significant problems, right? And I mean, that requires a broad, broad kind of thinking. You know, it, you cause on all of your disciplines, all of the things that you're able to do, your creativity, your knowledge, your insight, intuition sometimes even, right? Draws on all parts of your of our cognitive faculty. And when you lose that, when you, you know, on some level, the brain's very elastic, right? Uh, it, the more you practice a thing, the better you get at it. We all have seen this, right? I mean, you studied whatever foreign language when you were in high school. What's the last time you uttered a word of it, right? <laughs> um, this, it's the same idea, I think, at play here. Uh, and I think, and you know, I haven't had the experience that, that either Tom or, or Mary have had, but I that, that sounds absolutely plausible, you know? And just on anecdotal evidence from people I know, that sounds absolutely dead on. I've had a handful of, I'm, you know, I'm getting towards the retirement age, well, another eight years for me, but I had a lot of friends over the past five years, um, either retired early or they hit retirement age. And I, I have 10 of them on top of my mind. And whenever I meet up for dinner or we just meet in a local bar, pub, anything, um, nothing, nothing's going on. Um, they gained 10, 20 pounds, sadly. So have I. Um, but um, it, it's just, they become they almost become boring. And then I have a few people who retire to have enough money where they're traveling the world. So I guess it really depends on your circumstances. But, but yeah. So, yeah. so I, Lucy um, in the audience, thank you. thanks for joining us. She said she's worked with quite a few executives who transitioned from high powered jobs to consulting and interim C-suite positions. 
lucky companies who are getting their experience. And yes, you know, I, I think so too. Um, and I've also in my, as I've been reading, I see that um, the whole idea of hiring older employees is kind of dissipating a bit. And then the, the whole um, youth, youth, youth is not as prominent. But we have a question here. Um, do you think this population can fill the skill gaps and need for talent in the market? So that's a great question. Uh, thank you so much, Jessica. Uh, I mean, I would say, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's definitely an untapped and overlooked population for many jobs. And I mean, because of bias, because of a lot of different things. But I mean, like there's a lot of plus sizes to the inclusion of this population. I mean, I think if there's anything, you know, it, it it's something where like skill Upling it might be necessary, but at the same time, like there's such a baseline of experience and knowledge and poise that I think a lot of employers, you know, they they forget about, frankly. Yeah, I think I, I think those soft skills, the leadership, the decision making, those type of skills are, are so needed in corporations because they they just don't seem to have the wealth of that. Um, if you need to know how to do certain type of program something, you can go online and learn anything. So upskilling might be needed, but I, I think what's missing in a lot of cases is the leadership, the organizational skills that um, I hate to say that sometimes the younger generation haven't developed yet. I, I think those are really good points. Uh, I think that the the challenge is that some organizations still are holding out to the, on to the idea that, oh, no, you have to hire a person full on, you know, 35 plus hours a week as an employee. And I think there's going to be resistance in some organizations and perhaps even some industries that don't necessarily move as fast as that. Right. And and there's going to be, I think, some cultural resistance to this. Um, I, I It's great, you know, that there are employers that are forward thinking in this way and say, okay, let's, let's identify the specific challenge. Mm -hmm. Here is a solution. Let they align. Let's do the thing rather than, well, let's wait until there's five HBR stories about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so the, this just sort of brings to mind for me, the whole idea of the multi-generational workforce. And as you know, if you're bringing in retirees and, uh, you know, who could be, I don't know, I look at people on, say, TV, newscasters, you know, in their late 70s and 80s. And and so, you know, your workforce can could range from what, maybe if you're out of college, 24 to, say, 75. So how does that how does that work? I just tell everyone to watch a movie, The Intern, with Robert De Niro. Wait, oh, wait, yeah. Is that, is that yeah. Robert De Niro? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that just hits so many so many of the pain points for both. So, both are needed. I think we're, we're in a, an amazing generation where the five generation workforce never happened. In, well, it's never happened yet. <laughs> so um, I, I think it's interesting. I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I, I was, thought you were ready to speak. Um, my thought was, you know, I, I celebrate it. I think it's wonderful. Uh, it does present some challenges and because, you know, each ge different generation has different communication preferences, uh, different t cultural touch points that you can reference, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm an Xer. So if you get sarcastic, I'm good. I, I understand you. Like, that's my first language, right? <laughs> um, 
someone from a different generation may not necessarily have that same touch point, same orientation. So I need to modulate the way I communicate with other people because, well, number one, maybe not necessarily that professional, uh, but also uh, to make sure that the point is being made and, and the, the noise around it because I've not communicated in a way that's necessarily accessible to the, audi to the audience uh, is, is distracting from the point, right? Uh, and I think that's a real, that's a real challenge. So, so it sounds like, and, and I think of this, people who are used to texting all the time are not as maybe comfortable speaking. And then, you know, um, people that are used to, say, being on the phone are not as maybe comfortable with texting. I know that I started... Um, having my clients be able to text me a, a couple of years ago because so many people want to text and they, they want to rather just text me than, you know, than call me, um, which is better for me too. But, but I, I think it is interesting, the idea of, of communication styles. And um, I always think of it like, you know, if, if your boss is texting you, don't call them, text them. If they're calling you, don't, don't text them, call them. Um, it's kind of a rule of thumb. I think Ed is perfectly correct. I mean, he's right. The communication style is very different. I had a friend that retired, went back to work, and he worked at a company where he was, you know, twice as old as anyone in the office, and he wasn't open to it, and he just just withdrawn and landed up quitting three weeks later. He should have stuck it out. At least I tried to coach him that. Um, so we have to be open to working in, in a five-generation workforce. So a lot of people aren't. Well, I, I will. I have to say before I ask you for your final thoughts, because we're getting kind of near at the end of our time together, the one of the best um, bosses that I ever had was was my editor when I was working at a magazine, and she was at least ten years younger than I than I was at the time, but way older in knowledge and experience and everything. And so, you know, for me, um, that's what I saw is, you know, her knowledge and experience. And uh, she was one of the best teachers that like I ever, ever had learned more from her than I did in, you know, college. But anyway, so um, I just like you to, to, I'd like to go around um, and kind of do two things. You know, we've talked about a, a bunch of different topics. Um, but obviously not everything. So if you could share some final thoughts about, you know, something maybe we've, we've talked about you want to expand on or something different that uh, we should have talked about, um, that would be uh, that would be great um, and let people know how they can reach you. So let's start with Tom this time and go around that way. Um, I think people that are just lost their jobs um, that are getting in the job search, um, I, I find it frustrating. There's so much information online. I live on LinkedIn and do this, do that. Don't do that. You'll do this. You're wrong. You do that. Your resume has to be one page. You won't get hired. I never hired anyone from a one page resume. Um, so I think you need to step back, take a deep breath, whatever makes sense, and then team with someone you trust. Um, a career coach, a resume writer, um, a recruiter is going to really give you the, 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 the truth of what's going on out there. I think there's so much information. And then there's a lot of people out there. I've seen it happen four times. Three people who were from Bed Bath Beyond. I just got fired 30 minutes ago, and they write this big thing, help me find a job. Um, they had the resume posted to the LinkedIn profile. The resume sucks. They have um, no ban image. They have no headline. They got nothing in the about page. I wanted to help some of these people out. I couldn't do anything with their profile or their resume they uploaded, which has no value in LinkedIn. So just step back before you react. Think things out. That's that's my closing statement. I'm sorry. Okay. I get I get excited. No, no, I think that's that's so true. And and Mary, 
Yeah, no, I get excited too about this topic. I mean, you know, so it's interesting because with a lot of the layoffs that are out there, certainly I totally believe in spreading the word, sharing it with your networks like you're supposed to. Like, hey, I'm looking for a job. But I've seen it way too much that that's all that people do. It's like as if they just have to speak it into an existence and it will happen. I mean, eventually it will, but there's a lot of other things that need to happen in between. And so one of the things that I wish people did more of is like experiment more with actually showing your value instead of just telling everyone that you have it. And so that can mean different things to different people, like how they show it. I mean, people volunteer, people do other sorts of things, side gig work, whatever. But, you know, people also post on social platforms, but they post interesting stuff, meaningful stuff that kind of contributes to the dialogue. I wish people would do that as job seekers instead of just being like, I'm open to new work, so please find your girls for me. So that's just my thought of the moment. <laughs> but anyway. Or they message a recruiter. Do you have a job for me? Yeah. So, uh, and, and so, and, and your final thoughts? Um, boy, I have so many, so I'll try to be concise. Okay. Uh, no, which, which, as you, which, as you guys have noticed, I'm not great at, you know, in person, um, uh, or rather live. Uh, folks, listen. Every recruiter, every single one of us, we work for one person, and that person's the hiring manager. It doesn't matter whether we're agency recruiters or corporate recruiters. That's the person we want to make happy. If you come to us and you ask us, do you have a job for me? Kind of picking up from what Mary had been saying. You know what? Tell us what you're good at. Tell us what you're highly qualified for. Because if you come to us and say, I will t do any job, that's not meaningful. Because no hiring manager wants to say, well... Okay, I guess he can do it or she can do it. No hiring manager wants to hire that person because there's nothing interesting, distinctive, nothing that says this person is going to be the next leader in my organization, mm -hmm. right? No one wants that person who's not going to have that potential in most cases. I mean, there's obvious exceptions. So, folks, when you reach out to, to, to folks, be intentional and specific about what it is that we can do to help you in what way. And is this a thing that we even are doing? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I always tell people too, they, they come to, and I'm sure to all of you as well, they come to me, keep your eyes open for me. I'm looking for a job. Okay. My eyes are open. What am I looking for? So, um, so before we, uh, before we, so um, where can people find you? Um, Ed, uh, I can always be found on on LinkedIn, and for those of you who are still on Twitter, I I I am unable unable to shut up there too. Oh, okay. And Mary, yeah, LinkedIn is always the best place. You could also go to my website, which is marydespe.com. Okay. And for me, everything's LinkedIn, um, and everything, any, any way, any way to connect me, book a free consultation call for resume, LinkedIn review, everything's on LinkedIn. Just go there. There's links, and um, I hope anyone, uh, I offer anyone a free consultation call for 30 minutes. Okay. All right. Well, um, thank you so much, everyone, for being here. It's so fun to, to chat with you all. And maybe we'll come back like in another few months because I know that things will always be changing. So thanks so much to everyone who has been here. We've had a lot of comments and I've seen a lot of reactions. So thank you so much and have a great rest of your 
evening, afternoon, or day. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of the Trend Talk Show. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please subscribe.